alone and it's just the Lord's work and uh, grateful that you would have me uh, come to deliver the word of God to you this morning uh, to have my family and uh, as we do I'm going to also give you a brief update um, on how the church is doing in Slidell. Um, I, I promise I'm going to preach to you and give you a sermon but uh, I have to give you somewhat of an update as it's been a year and a little over a year. Um, we were planted, uh, officially planted in November 7th of 2021, so it's just been a little over a year. Uh, we started with about 26, maybe 25 people, all of which are still there, and the Lord has used each and every one of those individuals to, to do many, many great things, to assist the church, to grow the church, to uh, care for uh, new uh, members who come in and love on them and show them Christ. Um, we've seen the Lord grow us. Uh, we're we're around 55 to 60 every week. Um, and they're all faithful attenders, people who love the word of God. They love the Lord. Uh, we've seen the Lord save uh, several people as well. And so as we just look back at the year, and you've seen the Lord do so many with you all in a year, um, God is the only one that can get the glory for what has occurred, what has been done and accomplished. It's his doing and not ours, and we're simply his faithful servants to do so. And so I'm grateful uh, for you all. As you know, I, I grew up here uh, in really in ministry. Um, this is where my my roots kind of began. Um, of course, I was also in ministry at what it was what was called Ohana Pier in Slido, Louisiana. Um, and that's actually funny enough. Uh, that's the building that we're currently in right now, and uh, it's ours now. So really, we're renting it, but it's our it's our building nonetheless. And uh, it's just awesome to see God do things that I would never would have imagined possible. Uh, the first time I thought of and prayed about church planting and talked to Sam and Chad and the other men, I said, no, <laughs> not doing that anytime soon, uh, maybe 10 years. And then God, I guess, put me in my place and said, no, you're doing it next year. <laughs> so, so that's kind of how that worked out. But, um, but uh, I'm, I'm just in all, I don't have a timer, by the way, so uh, I hope, hope I don't go over your time. But... This, this past November was our first birthday, and so I wanted to kind of redirect our church um, to where we were founded. The reason our name is Steadfast Community Church, and so I preached to our congregation from Psalm 136 uh, to remind us that it's the steadfast love of the Lord that has, has kept us and has, has caused us to endure. It's nothing of our own doing. It's his doing. And then we continued on in, in uh, different areas of scripture um, to look at our steadfast shore and steadfast anchor of our soul, which would be Christ. Um, and then what it means to be uh, steadfast in your faith, to consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. We went through that. And then, of course, finally, we close with our, uh, really our founding verse, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight, which Pastor Sam is preaching on this morning in my stead. And is to remind us uh, to continue in that faith, continue in the work that we are called to do and called to uh, to really be ambassadors for Christ. So that's kind of what we went through that month of a reminder of really what the Lord has done and what we are called to do in response to that. And this morning, for you all, what I would like to do is I would like to bring you to John chapter 8. I know you're in the Gospel of Luke and you have been for a long time, uh, but I'm going to bring you to a different Gospel and we'll see a little bit uh, of a new perspective, really similar perspective, but... Um, what I'm going to remind you of and really show you is, is really what a true disciple is. A true disciple is a steadfast disciple. It's one who, who continues for their entire life. 
So a true disciple is a steadfast disciple. We're going to be in John chapter 8. And we're going to look to verses 31 to 36. But before we read that passage, I would like you to also turn to Jeremiah chapter 12. In the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 12. And look to verses 5 to 6. Um, I don't know if y'all normally have screens. We won't have screens this morning. Sam said I could, I could do that. And uh, so we're going to be flipping pages. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 12. Verse 5 to 6. Verse 5 says, If you have run with footmen and they have tired you out, then how can you compete with horses? If you fall down in a land of peace, how will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? For even your brothers and the household of your father, even they have dealt treacherously with you. Even they have cried aloud after you. Do not believe them, although they may say nice things to you. You and I, we grow up in in the West. We grow up in American uh, culture where each and every one of us have categories. We have really planned out a lot of things in our life. Categories that we would say, we need to do this, we need to do that. We look forward to what's to come and we plan for what we see to come. And uh, what I want you to to see is as we prepare, we we look to be uh, ready for what we know to come, but we fail to see that we should constantly be preparing as Christians for even what we don't see. It's not that we look toward the end of our life and know what is to come and then prepare for that, but we should always constantly be preparing to be conformed to the image of Christ. That is the duty and really what it means to be a Christian. You are to constantly, for your entire life, be conforming your life to the image of Christ whom you were founded in, who you are to walk in. And as we just read in Jeremiah, it's really um, pointing out to me when I read this was that as we are preparing our life, we should not be looking for the storm that would one day come Um, because they will come, no doubt. You're promised that they will come. Um, But what Jeremiah is saying is if you are not ready now, If you are not standing on Christ now, on his word now, what makes you think that you will be ready to stand when that day comes? And and so Jeremiah is saying that to them in a different fashion. He's just saying, if you you run with them and you're tired, run with footmen and you're tired, you think you can keep up with horses. Um, You need to be ready and you need to stand and you need to prepare and constantly be conformed to the image of Christ. So I just wanted to read that just to kind of give us a, I guess a foundation of where we're going to be going in John chapter 8. You see a true disciple is is a steadfast disciple because it means that if there is a true disciple who must be steadfast, that also means there is a false disciple and one who is not steadfast. And we're going to see that in John chapter 8 today. One way that you can ask yourself or really test yourself of being a true disciple is, is three simple things. Of course, just doing them does not mean that you are a true disciple, but these are things that should be evident within someone who is a true disciple. You should have a daily intake of God's word. It should be your desire because that's the food that you should eat as a believer. It should fill you daily. 
That should be a desire in your life to be filled with the word of God. That's your food as a Christian, to feed on the word of God. A constant and daily communion with God. That means through prayer. Communing with God daily, throughout the day even. That's why Paul says, pray without ceasing. Continue in prayer, always praying on behalf of you. And then, of course, as you're here today, you know uh, and, and understand the importance of fellowship with the local body. Um, to not forsake the gathering, as, the, as is the habit of some. The believers are gathered together to encourage one another in the walk that they currently walk together with Christ. Um, and so those are just three things that you can continue to mark your lives with so that when that storm one day comes, you not only have to stand it on your own, but you have your brothers and sisters in Christ there with you. Uh, you know the word of God. You're immersed in the word of God. And that is your foundation, which you are being filled up with day after day. And of course, and most importantly, you're communi- communing with God in prayer. A God who hears, a God who listens, a God who answers. So those are all things um, that will prepare you constantly as you're being conformed to the image of Christ. Would you turn to Psalm 119 for just a brief moment? Psalm 119, longest chapter in all the Bible, and it's about the Word of God. Psalm 119, verse 105 to 112, says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn and I will confirm it, that I will keep your righteous ordinances. I am exceedingly afflicted. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Accept the freewill offering of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your ordinances. My life is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have not gone astray from your precepts. I have inherited your testimonies forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform your statues forever, even to the end. You see, even when the snares come, even when those who come to afflict you, it is the word of God that guides you as a lamp in the darkness. How important is that to fill you daily, to be guided by the word of God, which is going to teach you all you need to know of the Christian life. It's going to continue to redirect you to stay on that path that you once were founded on, the one where Christ is, the one in whom you walk in. And it's the word of God that's going to bring you. Of course, you know, 2 Timothy three sixteen, which speaks of the word of God once again. How important it is. You can turn there. You can just listen. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 16 to 17 says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. It's important for your life, your spiritual life and your physical life as you go about. And then John seventeen seventeen, which I'll quote again today is Jesus literally says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The word of God is, is vital in the life of the believer. Without it, you'll be malnourished. Without it, um, you will starve yourself. You can turn back to, to John chapter 8 now as we prepare to really look at the, the text that the Lord has for us this morning. In John chapter 8, verse 31 to 36 we're going to be thinking of and, and having in our mind what a true disciple is. A true disciple is a steadfast disciple, meaning a, a disciple who perseveres, who continues. John chapter 8, 
verse 31 to 36. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. As we go through these verses, we're going to have two really guiding points for us. You can write them down or or wait till we come to them eventually. But the first one is a true disciple continues in the truth. These are characteristics of a true disciple. A true disciple continues in the truth. And the second will be a true disciple loves the truth. Now, these verses that we've just read show the importance of steadfast perseverance in service to Christ, meaning a a continuing of walking with Christ. That's what it shows, a steadfast perseverance in service to Christ. It's so vitally important because Jesus Christ is saying this is what makes proof or evidence of what a true disciple of mine is. He says that in verse 31. Jesus says to the Jews who had believed, we see that previously in verse 30, if you continue in my word, he's not making a suggestion. This is a a promise, a statement of fact that somebody who is truly a disciple of Christ will continue in his word. And he doesn't mean for a time, he means for the rest of your time here present on earth. That is what a true disciple will do. They will continue. Many today profess, you no doubt know, many profess Christ or they profess Christianity. They profess to believe that they have become disciples as these men who we're reading about have done so. They've, they've said they believe. But many fall uh, down the road and they show that their belief was not genuine, that it was, that it was false, that it was a phony faith, uh, that they were phony disciples of Christ, that it was not a genuine faith that they had. And so we ought to ask the question, as Jesus is teaching these men, how do we know? What can we do to know? How do we test the faith? How do we test our own faith that we say we claim? So turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, 5. As the Apostle Paul tells the Corinthian believers to test themselves. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. The Apostle Paul tells the Corinthian believers, he says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless, indeed, you fail the test. And he's not just saying this, hey, if you feel like testing your own faith, he's saying you must do this. You must test yourself to see if you're truly in the faith. It's that important. It's the most important thing that you could ever test in your own life. It doesn't matter what kind of disease you have or anything of this world that has afflicted you. The most important thing that you can test in your life is whether your faith is genuine or if it is not. Because that means eternity in one of two places. And so he's saying test your faith. What's the test? It's a test of endurance. It's a test of continuance. It's a test that you stand in obedient faithfulness and steadfast assurance 
for the rest of your life on Jesus Christ, on his gospel, on who he truly is. Now in John chapter eight, verse 30, I've already said it once, but look at verse 30. He's speaking to Jews. These men who have come to him, these are leaders, leaders of the Jews. That's who these men are. In verse 30, he says, as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. Okay. Now that's important because we look and we say, okay, they say they believe. They're saved because they say they believe, because they confess Christ. But if you continue to read, you're going to quickly find out that in 44, they're children of the devil. So then we got to ask the question, did they truly believe? What kind of belief did they have? That's why Jesus tells them that if if you continue or if you abide in my word, he tells them, if you continue in my word, this word continue in verse 31, it means to persist. Or to remain, to go on, to be persistent in his word, to be persistent in the truth of what he has taught you. That is what a a true disciple will do. They will persist. They will continue. They will go on and on and on despite what comes in their path, despite what afflicts them physically, despite what afflicts them financially, no matter what happens in their life, if they lose everything or if they gain everything, if they're healthy or if they're ill, if they have two days to live or if they have 20 more years to live, you're going to continue. That's what a steadfast, that's what a true disciple is going to do. They're going to continue no matter what, no matter what occurs, because they know that what they're standing on is the truth of God's word. What they're standing on is Christ. That's why you walk in Christ and you walk by faith, the true faith. Back in chapter six, we won't go there. But back in chapter six, if you're familiar with John's gospel, there were thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands of people that followed him. He feeds the 5,000 and people continue to come. They continue to follow him and they, they seek him. They even claim him to be the prophesied Messiah. They claim him to be the prophet. And they say, we're gonna take him and we're gonna make him king because we believe in him. That's what they were doing. But it goes on and we see that later on he didn't give himself to them. And not long after that, they actually tried to kill him. And they left him because he was saying hard truths that they didn't want to abide in. They were seeking him, Jesus says, not for what he has done or who he truly is, but they were seeking him for what he gave them, the food, the manna, or the the bread and the fish. They wanted all the things that he could give them, but they didn't want him. They didn't want to continue in, in, in walking in him because they understood that this guy, he's going down a dangerous path. I, I can't go on in that. All I want is what he had to offer. That's all I want. So you see that they, they believed in him. They even wanted to make him king for all the wrong reasons. In John chapter two, just a couple chapters back, verse 23 to 25, he says, now... When he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs, which he was doing. But listen to this. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. A side note, by the way, if you're looking for a passage of scripture that proves the deity or shows the deity of Christ or his divinity, this is one. Because 1 Samuel 16, 7, plus many others that I didn't list, says that God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Here, Jesus knew that these men who said they believed, that wanted to follow him, truly deep down, they did not believe. 
Only God sees in the heart. Only God knows the belief of man. So this passage, by the way, just a side note, could be one that you easily go to and say, look, this is showing the divinity of Christ. He sees the inner, inner part of man. He sees the heart. He knows the truth. But here in, in John chapter 2, we see that they believed in him. It said they believed. They followed him. They, they wanted to go where he was going. They wanted to do what he was doing. And then it says that Jesus didn't entrust himself to them because he knew. He knew it was in their heart. They didn't have genuine faith. They weren't a true disciple of Jesus Christ. They weren't going to continue and abide in him. They weren't going to go on. We won't turn to Matthew, but Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23, it speaks of those who, who followed or, or served in the church. They, they prophesied in his name. They did many miracles or many things in the name of the Lord. But in the, the end of that day, in the end of the time, on judgment day, Jesus got, God and Jesus, they're going to judge him, judge those individuals and say, depart from me. I never knew you. You worker of lawlessness. And so it's that serious to understand who is abiding, who is, a, who is a true disciple of Jesus Christ, who is the one who is going to continue and abide in the word of God until their last breath. Just like the soils which you're familiar with in Luke and all the other gospels, the soils, there are several different soils. Some show that the seed is trampled on and eaten by crows. Others show that it's, it's founded on rocky soil. There's not good soil, not good water. It grows up for a time, but it's too weak and it withers out and it dies. Others grow up with thorns and they're choked out. And then there's the good soil. The seed falls on and it has the good soil. And it stays. It has strong roots. It grows deep. And it's going to continue to grow. Nothing's going to, to take it away. Nothing's going to kill it. Because it's rooted deep in the good soil of Christ. And the, the good soil of the gospel. Those represent, those, those soils you know, represent that the devil has come and he's taken away the gospel. He's blinded their eyes to it. Many have received for a time with joy, but there's no root, no foundation. And Luke, 18, Luke 8, 13 says they believe for a while. And in time of temptation, they fall away. When hardship comes, when sin comes, when temptation comes, they don't continue, they don't abide, they don't go on. They don't want the truth because it's hard. It's not easy. They want the riches of the world, the pleasures of the world, and they bear no fruit of maturity. But a true disciple is what Luke 8, 15 says. They're ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart, and they hold fast and bear fruit with perseverance. That's a true, true disciple. That's the one who was on the good soil. They hold fast. They continue. They persevere. That's the life of a disciple, no matter what comes their way. In the back of your Bibles in 1 John 2, 19, we can ask this question, well, what about those who have been in the church? What about those who have served? What about those who were even pastors? What about those who were missionaries? And then they one day leave and walk away from the faith, forsake everything they once claimed. Did they lose their salvation? Were they a true disciple and then became a, a, a dead disciple? What happened? How did that occur? First John 2.19 answers that question. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have what? They would have remained. They would have continued. They would have continued to abide. So they would have remained, he says, with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are not of us. Hebrews, just a little bit before 1 John. Hebrews chapter 10, 
Verse 38 to 39 says, But my righteous one shall live by faith. Now this is the true faith. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Meaning if he doesn't continue, my, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. True disciple is going to continue. They're not going to shrink back. Sure, you may have hard times. Sure, you may have struggling times in your walk with Christ. You may have times of of doubt. You may even have times where you stumble into sin that you wish you never went back into. But the steadfast or a true disciple is one who is going to continue on for the duration of their life. No matter what they face, no matter what comes their way, no matter even if they fall back into sin, they're going to continue to fight. And they're going to continue in, in the Lord. And also, it's encouraging to know that he who began a good work in you will complete it. I mean, he's going he's gonna to finish the job. Uh, he's going he's gonna to bring you to it. So as we uh, continue in this passage, and we're, we're really still kind of, we're in the first point or at the beginning of the first point. But you know the parables. You've seen them in Luke, no doubt. The parables uh, that we've already spoken about, the soil, uh, the parables of the wheat and the tares that grow up in the church. It's a picture that there are no doubt going to be those who sit right next to you. Uh, God forbid that none of that happens here at the field church or at Steadfast Community Church, but no doubt it's a promise that, that there will be times where, where you're going to have people who sit right next to you, people who have, have sung the same songs you've sung. They've sat under the same sermons that you've sat under. They have, have gone on to even witness and share the gospel alongside you. They've discipled, no doubt, people in this church. And then you're, you're going to sadly see that they're going to one day go for the world or go for their sins or, or approach things in the world that are completely against the Lord. And that's because they never truly were of you. They never truly were abiding in the word of God. They weren't committed to continue for the duration of their life. There were too many things that, that were pleasing to them, to their eye, to their flesh. Matthew 13 Matthew 13, 47 to 50. I have a lot of references, by the way. That's why I didn't put them on the screens. But Matthew 13, 47 to 50. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers But the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous. Meaning among them, they were with you. And he will throw them in the furnace of the fire. In the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's so many parables in in the gospels that describe what the kingdom of God will be like. And it gives these great contrasts. The wheat and the tares. The soils. What we've just read here in the fish and the dragnet. You get the, the, the mustard seed that grows up into a tree and there have birds of all kinds there. But that's what we see in, in real life today. That's what we see in the church, that many will grow up and many will grow up and be good fish, no doubt. Many will be uh, on the good soil, but you're going to have those that grow up and they, they walk away. They don't abide. They don't continue in the faith. But a true disciple of Christ is one who perseveres. They're one who continues, one who presses on, one who, who is steadfast in the faith. 
You no doubt, like me, have those maybe in your church, maybe in your family, that claim the name of Christ. They claim Christianity. They claim to have faith in Christ. And yet you have that question, do they truly know the Lord? No doubt you have that question. I do. Maybe it's your father. Maybe it's your mother. Maybe it's your brother or your sister, your wife, your husband, your children, your friends, cousins, coworkers. Maybe it's somebody that you led to Christ yourself and years down the road, you wonder if they were truly saved at that moment. We all have that thought. We all have that doubt because you're, you're seeing patterns in their life or fruits in their lives that don't seem to be that of a true disciple. Maybe they're not here gathering with the saints regularly. Maybe they're absent more than they are present. Um, and you have those questions. So the test of a true disciple is one that is of, of continuance and it's time where there's testing. And you see those who are truly the disciples of Christ are going to remain. They're going to abide. They're going to continue in the faith for the rest of their life. And, uh, and so as we, that's a, a true disciple continues in the truth. We're really getting to the first point now. So look at verse 30 to 31 of John chapter eight. Verse 30 to 31. It says, as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciple. A true disciple continues in the truth. They continue. They, 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 they don't just show an initial belief, an initial uh, desire. But many did that in the gospels. Many do that today where they see something that is appealing, something that is, is pretty, something that is, is good something that gives a lot of promises like eternal life, like a life that is going to be lived with the protection of God and the, the, the payment of sin by Christ. So those things are all appealing. Like this, in this time, these men no doubt would have been in the crowds. They would have seen the miracles that Jesus has done, the healings that he has done, the feeding of the 5,000, which we've already read about in, in previous chapter of John chapter 6. And so they're no doubt seeing all those things and wanting to remain and wanting to say, hey, this is a guy we could follow. He's got a lot to offer. He, he, he heals people. There was men that have withered hands. He, he's, he's made a crippled man now walk, crippled for several decades. Not, not, not many people can do that. Only a man of God can do that. We would follow a guy like this. But he tells them, importantly, that they must abide. They must continue in his word. That's what a true disciple is. They must continue. And this is a place where these men are, the Jews, the leaders, the ones who claim to believe, they're in the most dangerous spiritual place that anyone could ever be. J.C. Ryle says this. He says, this is the most dangerous spiritual condition any person can ever be in. Where you're halfway to Christ. You're inclined to Jesus, inclined to the truth about Jesus, wanting what Jesus provides and what he offers, but not willing to give into the full demands that he lays on the center of repentance and faith in him. Declaration of his lordship and turning from sin toward righteousness. He's not just your savior, he's your Lord. And so J.C. Ryle is right in saying that this is the most dangerous spiritual condition or path that someone could be on because this is the path of apostasy. It's the path where somebody 
down the road rejects Christ. And in Hebrews, it says that that is impossible. It is impossible to restore someone like that who has trampled on the the blood of the covenant, who has trampled on the gospel of Jesus Christ, who has, has claimed to walk with him, to be saved by him, to serve him as Lord and Savior, and then completely reject it. The Hebrew says it's impossible to restore them again because they've trampled the blood of the covenant. They've trampled on Christ, essentially. In John chapter eight, you can look down to verse, or look up to verse 30. We've already read that, but look down to 44 through 47 because these men who claimed to believe no doubt they were seeing the things that he could offer down in verse 44 to 47 it says why do you understand or you are of your father the devil he says he's speaking to these same men you are of your father the devil and you want to do the desires of your father he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth Because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. You see, they didn't want the truth. They didn't want to continue in the truth. Because Jesus speaks the truth, they don't want to believe him anymore. Verse 46 says, which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God... Hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. So these men, of course, claimed to believe. But when Jesus brought the truth and he told them the truth and he said, this is what is true, they didn't want it. They didn't, they didn't want to hear any, any more of it. They didn't believe that. They didn't want to continue in that truth because it was offensive. He said, you're slaves of sin. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. So... Also, when you think of this, during the time of Jesus' ministry, tens of thousands of people followed him. They flocked to wherever he would go. They claimed to believe in him. They praised him. They worshiped him. In uh, the Passion Week, they, they brought him in and claimed and, and accepted him as the prophesied Messiah, throwing palm branches at his feet as he came in. But then not long after that, you know, They were the same people who yelled for his life, yelled for his blood. Tens of thousands of people follow him, but within just a short period of time, in Acts chapter 1, with the very beginning of the early church, there's only 120 people there in the upper room. That shows you the great difference of those who abide or those who continue in the faith. They're willing to endure. And those 120 people continued in the faith, and many of them were killed. Many of them were persecuted. They were, they were chased down. They were hated. They were cast out and scattered all around the world. And the ones who continued, the ones who proved that they truly had faith in Jesus Christ are the ones who remained. They were the true disciple of Jesus Christ. And they continued. See, it's not simply a mental ascent. It's not simply a, a, an acknowledgement of saying that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. You must do that, yes. But it's not simply that. It's not simply an acknowledgement because even the demons believe and shudder. And by the way, demons probably have a greater theology than you and I do. But they don't walk with him. They deny him. They reject him. They hate him. They hate the truth. 
They don't abide in it. They don't continue in it. They don't want the truth. They want the lie. They want to, to be like their father, the devil, who was a murderer from the beginning. And so that's why Jesus says to these very men who claim to believe in him, you must continue. You must continue in my word. It's not just that you believe. You must be a steadfast disciple for the rest of your life and endure what comes your way. Jesus is not making a suggestion here. <laughs> He's not saying, hey, is it okay if you continue? He's saying you must. There's no other option. This is the fact of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. You continue no matter what. You persevere no matter what. And he promises them too in many, many different areas that harmship, harm's gonna come your way. Hardship's gonna come your way. Trials are gonna come your way. No doubt. Are you ready? If you're truly my disciple, you're going to push through this. That's why James says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. It's perseverance. That is the life of a Christian. That is what it means to walk with Christ. Because when somebody truly believed, they claimed and, and, pro, and professed Jesus as their Lord, which is kurios in the Greek, and that they would be his slave, doulos. They would be his servant. He would be their master and they would be his servant and they would obey and abide and follow his teaching, his, his, his orders. They would, they would obey him. They would follow him. They would be basically his is what it's showing. Matthew chapter seven, you can turn there for a brief moment. Matthew chapter seven, verse 24 to 27. Jesus says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And we know this now. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them, meaning it does not continue or obey, does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Then the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house and it fell and great was its fall. You see, the storm is judgment. That's what it represents. The storm is judgment. The house that fell is the one who believed for a short time but didn't continue wasn't truly a disciple who that was founded on the rock. They weren't founded on the rock being Christ. They weren't founded on his, his teaching. They weren't founded on the truth. They were founded on a, a false foundation that was truly just sand. And when that storm came, it, it destroyed. That's judgment. That's what it means when somebody builds their, their, their life or their faith on something that is false. When you build it on the rock, it's not going anywhere. It's going to stand the storm. It's going to stand the test of time in your life. You're going to be with him. You see, the marks of a true believer, a true disciple is that of perseverance. It's, it's endurance. It's steadfastness. Matthew 10, 22 says, it is the one who endures to the end who will be saved. Matthew 12, 50 says, for whoever does the will of my father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. In John chapter 14, just several chapters over from our current passage, John chapter 14, verse 15, 
It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. In verse 21, he says, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Meaning, this is the one who is truly my disciple. They're going to continue. They're going to follow. They're going to obey. They're going to be obedient to my word. They're going to abide in my word. Romans 1, I mean Romans 5. Romans 5, um, chapter 15, I mean chapter 5, verse 1 to 5, shows persevering faith. Romans 5, 1 to 5 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations brings about what? Perseverance. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given us, given to us. It's someone who perseveres, someone who continues. John fifteen ten says, if you can keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Verse 14 says, you're my friends if you do what I command. Jesus is telling them that they know that he loves the Father because he obeys the Father. Same thing for the Christian. They will know that you love the Father by your obedience to his commands, by you following his word. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to be perfect, obviously. You won't be perfect, but it's someone who continues to fight for obedience to the word of God. And they're going to continue to do that the rest of their life. A true disciple is, is not one who, who says but never does. James says to be a doer of the word, not just hearers only. They don't claim Christ but, but not his Bible, not his truth. They, they are founded on sound theology, sound doctrine. Second John 1, 9 teaches that, 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 that is the truth, that, that believers would be ones founded on the truth, founded on solid doctrine, founded on what is right. That is evidence of true believers. Now, First John chapter 3, verse 24 says, the one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given. In chapter 5 of 1 John, we see this is a pattern with John, by the way, not just in the gospel, but in what he wrote in his epistles as well, that it's, it's obedience. It's, it's continuing in obedience and faithfulness of what God has commanded you to do. It's a pattern of John's writings. And then 1 John um, chapter, five, chapter 5, verse 3 says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. It's, it's proof that you love the Lord, that you want to continue in the Lord, that you want to serve him and be obedient to him. Now turn to 1 Peter, just very briefly. 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 6 to 7. You see, a disciple is, is marked by obedience, but they're marked by endurance, by perseverance. Um, through hardship and trial, because that is what is going to refine you. It's going to show whether you're truly a disciple of Christ or if you're just outlined or covered with the metal, 
You see, it's, it's a testing of, of metal, really, being put through the furnace. Is this truly metal? Is this truly a disciple? Or are they just cased with Christianese? Are they just cased with, with what means to be a Christian in our culture today? Because when you put in that fire, you're going to know. When it's tested and it's hit against other blunt objects or other or metals and, and it's tested to see if it's true, if it's, it's going to endure, if it's going to be durable. That's what First Peter kind of describes for us in First Peter chapter 1, verse 6 to 7. He says, and in your knowledge, I'm in the second letter, First Peter chapter 1, verse 6 to 7, in this you greatly rejoice. Even though now for a while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, what does it do? So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's going to be tested. The true believer is going to be tested. They're going to be refined in the fire of trials, of life, of hardships, of difficulties, of, of disappointments and failures, of uh, sins in your own life. You're going to be tested. Um, that's why Paul told the Corinthians to test the spirit, test your faith, test whether you're truly in the faith or did you believe in vain? And so he's, it's a constant test. It's a con- that's why I told us in the very beginning, it's not that you're preparing for what would come one day. You're preparing for the now that you would be conformed to the image of Christ for the rest of your life. Because in being conformed to the image of Christ, filling your life with the word of God, spending daily communion with God in prayer, surrounding yourselves with a body of believers, you're going to be prepared for the things that come. Because you're going to be surrounded and you're going to be immersed in, you're going to be completely grounded in the word of God and you're going to continue and abide in the word of God. That is what we see of a true disciple. There, it is obedience, it is endurance. A, a true disciple is a steadfast disciple that's going to obey and abide and continue in the truth. The second thing, and this will be much shorter, is a true disciple loves the truth. You see, in, in verse 32 to 36, which we're going to read now in John chapter 8, uh, these men, when they were confronted with the truth, they didn't, they didn't like what they heard. Look at verse 32 to 36. After he tells them in verse 31 that you would continue in my word, then you are truly my disciple. In verse 32, he says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth matters, he says. They answer, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. So a true disciple loves the truth. These men were confronted with the truth and they said, wait a second, that's not us. You just said, we'll be free. What are we in bondage to? We're not slaves. We're not in prison. There's nothing we've done to be. And they know, by the way, that Jesus is speaking of spiritual bondage. They're not talking about real shackles and chains. They understand that he means a spiritual bondage. And they say, no, we've never been in prison. We've never been enslaved to anyone. We're descendants of Abraham, they say. Look, that's our proof. We're, we're descendants of Abraham, therefore we're free because we're God's children. We're God's people. 
That's what our proof is, is where they go from. And Jesus says, no, no. If you sin, which you do, you're a slave to sin. And so he goes on to give them examples. We, we, people in our world today, we desire truth. We desire freedom. There's nobody that says, hey, tell me a lie. I want to be more stupid. I want to be more ignorant to what the world has. Just lie to me and tell me, tell me that two plus two equals 10. Or, you know, go on and you can make all these goofy examples. Nobody wants that. They want to know what's right. They want to know the truth. But when the truth of God's word comes, that's when they say, no, 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 I don't want that. That doesn't feed my flesh. That doesn't appease to me. That's not what I, I really desire. Because at the time, they're children of who? The devil. Just like you and I were in, in Ephesians chapter 2. I'm, I'm bringing my, uh, my congregation through Ephesians right now. And we just finished Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Um, but in, chapter, in verse 1 through 3, it shows that... Uh, because of our, our sins and our transgressions, we are all dead, right? In our sins and transgressions. And he goes on to say, you are walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, which would be the devil. That's what you're following. And you're in, indulging in the, the lust of your flesh, all kinds. And then he says at the very end, you're by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That is what one through three describes. And it describes all of mankind. So when the truth comes and they don't want the truth, nobody wants the truth. They're going to say, no, I don't want that. Here they're saying, no, you're telling us that we're in bondage. We, we're not enslaved. We're the descendants of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone because we are the people of God. We're descendants of Abraham. And Jesus says, no, 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 you don't understand. Here's the truth. Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. That's the truth. And that's why later on he tells them, you are of your father, the devil. And they want to, in verse 59, I believe it is, they want to kill him. They say, you keep telling us the truth. We're not going to listen to you much longer. We're going to chase you out of this place. We're going to put you to death. That's, we don't want to, to listen to you any longer because you're telling us things that are not pleasing to us, not pleasing to our ear, ears. So these Jews, they claim to believe. Second Timothy 3, 7 says this. It says, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. These, these people are searching. They're even searching in the religious area. They're searching for the things of God. They claim to be the people of God. They have the law. They have the prophets. They have the scriptures. They have the, the lineage of, of Abraham to where they are now. They know everything. They even know the scriptures that preach about the Messiah who would one day come. They know all of that. They've read it. They've studied it and they, they even boast in it. And they say they, 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 they are religious. They're righteous people. But they are like what Paul describes in 2 Timothy 3, 7, that they're always learning. They're always learning and they're never, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth because Romans 1, 18 describes that they suppress the truth. They don't want the truth. They, they push it down. They push it deep down and they, they don't acknowledge God for who he truly is. They don't acknowledge Jesus Christ for who he truly is. They suppress the truth. They put it down and they put it down as far and as deep and as, as hard as they possibly can because the truth is offensive. The truth tells them that they are sinners, that they are in need of saving. And Jesus is telling these men who said they believe in him that you are that same thing. You were just like the rest. You were sinners who are in bondage to your own sin and you are in desperate need of being freed from that bondage. You are in desperate need to be freed and to be saved. They don't want the truth. Jesus is the truth and he teaches the truth. Ephesians 4.21 describes Jesus as the one who is the truth. The truth is in him. John 14.6, Jesus says himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. All of that is found in Jesus Christ. And so when he teaches and what he says, what he commands is right and is true and is good. And the true disciple will continue in that and will follow that, will submit themselves to that truth, will humble themselves and confess that he is Lord, he is Savior, and they're in desperate need of his salvation. In John chapter 16, verse 13 and 14, It says, but when he, the spirit, this is the spirit described as the truth. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. He's saying the Holy Spirit is basically what's going to show and reveal and point back to Christ as being the truth. That's what the Holy Spirit does within believers is continuing to guide you, to mold you, to protect you, to, to uh, uh, sanctify you. Look at 45 in John chapter eight. These men who claim to believe Jesus says, but because I speak the truth, you do not believe. You see, it's the truth that caused their disbelief. The truth that turned them away. That's why I say a true disciple is one who loves the truth. These men didn't love it. They hated the truth. They didn't want anything to do with the truth. They wanted to push away the truth. And that's why in John seventeen seventeen, as Jesus is praying for his own disciples, the ones in whom he led to himself, the men who are truly standing on him and on the truth. That's why he, when he is praying, he says, sanctify them in the truth, meaning make them more holy. Set them apart unto me, unto you, Father. Cleanse them, make them more holy, make them more, conform them into the image of Christ. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The truth is vital. It's important. A true disciple loves the truth. Loves the truth of God's word. Now verse 33 As they answered him, I've already spoken briefly about this, but in verse 33, as he tells them the truth will set you free, they answered him and said, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And so Jesus pushes back on them and basically tells them, "I'm, I'm speaking of spiritual bondage. I'm speaking of your own sin. That's what we're talking about. That's why Jesus tells these men who believe themselves to be righteous. That's why Jesus says, I came to save not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. These men saw themselves as righteous. These men saw themselves as good. These men saw themselves as free. That sin didn't have a hold on them. And Jesus tells them otherwise. And that's why he says, I came to save the righteous. I came not to save the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He came to save those who understand that they are bound as slaves to their sin. As Romans 7 describes that the only way to be freed from that is to die to it. It's to be freed from it, to completely die to it. That's why baptism, as we, as Mike uh, mentioned earlier, is a representation or a testimony of one who has died to themselves, died to their sin and died with Christ and been raised to life in him. That's what baptism represents. It's the beauty of someone who was once dead and has been dead and bound by their sin has then now been buried with Christ and been raised to life with him. That's the beauty of, of the testimony of baptism. So Jesus is, is telling these men, look, you, are, you don't understand. The truth is, is that you are a sinner. Now, 
If you would, just turn to Luke. I know you've been in Luke for a while, but I'm going to bring you way back. It's actually uh, the first sermon that I had the opportunity to preach to you all. Luke chapter 4. The first sermon I had to preach to the field church. And uh, verse 17 to 21. Luke four seventeen to 21, it says, And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, that was handed to Jesus. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and, and, and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Okay. So as I preached, and I went a little bit further the last time I, I actually preached this to you all, but he goes on and he, he opens the scroll of Isaiah and then he reads from Isaiah, and he tells them that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And then, in verse 21, after he said all these things, that he would go and he would preach the gospel, that would be good news to the poor and to the, the bound, the captives, the blind, and the oppressed. In verse 21, he says, he sat down. Verse 22, and all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, no doubt, you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we hear was done in Capernaum, do here in your own hometown. But as he tells them these things, they become angry. They become angry and they want to kill him because he is telling them the truth. But they don't understand as Jesus is, is talking to these individuals, he's preaching the gospel to these individuals, telling them the good news. He's saying, I am talking about you. You are the poor. You are the captive. You're the prisoner. You're the blind. You're the oppressed. And I'm preaching good news to you. This has been fulfilled in your hearing, is what he's telling them. I am literally fulfilling the prophet Isaiah's writings. Jesus tells them, I am he. I am the one in whom he is speaking of in this scroll that I just read to you. I'm Jesus Christ. I am the Messiah. That's what he's telling them. And he says that he has fulfilled this prophecy in their hearing. And so, of course, they become angry. They are filled, verse 28 says, with rage. All the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things because he was telling them that you are the poor, the oppressed. You are the ones. And so they hear the truth and they oppress the truth. They suppress the truth. They don't want to hear the truth. They don't want the truth. They don't love the truth because the truth is telling them that they are sinners bound by their own sin and desperate need of saving. And he, the one Jesus speaking before them is the only one who could save them. They said, no, we don't like that. We don't want that at all. We don't want to, to, to give in to this teaching. It's too hard for us to swallow. A true disciple, when hears the word of God, the good news preached, it does tell you the bad news about yourself. A true disciple is one who hears the word of God. They submit to the word of God. They confess and embrace and obey and love the truth of the word of God. But a false disciple says, nope, I want Jesus with no strings attached. I don't want anything else. I just want the things he can give me. But a true disciple submits to it, continues in it, follows it, loves 
the word of God, loves the truth that he gives. That's what a true disciple does. And that's why it's so important for you to test your faith. Are you a true disciple? Are you one who, who is walking in Christ, who loves the teachings of Christ? Is that characterizing your life? In Galatians chapter 3, just for a brief moment, we're nearly done. Galatians chapter 3, verse 6 to 9. As he's speaking to these men who have claimed uh, that because they're Abraham's descendants, that they are free, essentially. Galatians 3, 6 to 9 says, Even so Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. That's interesting, by the way preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. So of course, it is those who live by faith that are righteous. It's impossible to please God without faith. Now we're speaking of a genuine, true faith. Because also in Galatians, the apostle Paul describes uh, Hagar and Ishmael and, and Sarah and, and Isaac, and he describes them and says, well, there was one who was a slave and there was one who was free. And then he describes Abraham as the one who would live by faith. And because he lives by faith, it is counted to him as righteousness. The believer is one who is going to live by faith. They are going to abide in the word of God. They are going to be of true faith, which is John 1, 12 says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. They receive him with everything that he brings to the table. That is all the truth, all the word of God, everything that he says about himself or about his word or about any other thing. That is what a true disciple does. They accept it all. They follow it all. They obey it all. And just as we, as we close, I want to read Romans 8, chapter 1 to you. Because this is what can be said of the true disciple. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who are truly in Christ, they're true disciples, steadfast disciples of Jesus Christ. They're going to abide in him and, and continue in his word for the rest of their life. No matter what trial, hardship, struggle comes their way, they're going to be a true disciple, a steadfast disciple who loves the word of God, who is going to continue in the word of God for the rest of their life. So who are you? You need to ask yourself that. Test your faith and, and be that true and steadfast disciple that's going to stand on the word of God. Let's pray.